baptism. I invite you now to take a Bible and to open it to Romans chapter 16. If you're using one of the Bibles there in the pew, it's page 894. And we'll read Romans chapter 16 uh, in its entirety. It says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencre, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you, Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampletus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apellus, who is approved by Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlygian, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sospiter, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who write this letter, greet you. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus, greet you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore, through Jesus Christ, amen. That'll conclude our reading. Uh, even if you're not very familiar with the Bible, if you've been with us through this series of looking at the beginning and the ending of the New Testament letters, you will have heard a bit of a shift uh, from 
the opening of Matthew's gospel, where Matthew's gospel begins with a whole bunch of names, and all of those names have a, a Hebrew origin to them, uh, to now, here at the end of this letter, another list of names, but these names are very different. We didn't read about Levi or Abraham or David. Uh, these are different names from a different language, from people of different backgrounds that are mostly in the Greek-speaking world now. And it's a testimony to the actual gospel going forward that what had started uh, in Jerusalem and in the surrounding regions uh, of Judea and Samaria has now been spreading so that Paul is writing this letter to believers who are in Rome and they're in the capital of the, the empire at that time. And he is referring to people who are with him and people who are uh, going to be receiving this. And all of these names are very, very different names than you would have encountered from Paul's own upbringing as a Pharisee of Pharisees, uh, as uh, someone of a Jewish background, that he is now in his life interacting with so many people who do not share his background in the Jewish tradition. They come from different walks of life, but what unites them is their faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, but the Savior of the world. And so that uh, there's an opportunity in Christ for Jew and Gentile to come together and to worship the Lord together. And there's just a few things that I think are helpful in addition to highlighting um, as we go uh, through this passage today. Uh, even though there's a list of names, just like in Matthew chapter 1, there was something for us to learn in the list of names. Here, uh, we have, uh, again, things that we can learn from, not just how to pronounce them, but what it says that the Apostle Paul is willing to list all of them. And the first is just the importance of relationships. Uh, the importance of the relationships that we have and uh, the importance of other people in our lives. Um, this passage reveals to us what hopefully most of us are old enough to have experienced, that the, the biggest influence on our walk is who we spend time with. The biggest influence on our walk is who we spend time with. We're all affected by other people. Other people can be a great source of discouragement and can bring us down, or other people can be a great source of encouragement when we're down, and they can help us in our walk. But healthy individuals need healthy communities around them. It is hard for any of us to be healthy alone. It is hard for any of us to be healthy in isolation. Jesus had told uh, several stories along this line, but one of them, he talked about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep, and then one of those sheep getting lost. And as he tells that story, everybody in his background would say, oh no, that one who is lost and alone is vulnerable, is at risk in a way that the 99 aren't. And so the responsibility of the shepherd to go and to seek and to save the one who is lost because what that sheep needs are other sheep <laughs> what you and I who are created for relationships need are other relationships we need 
friends and family. We need people that are older than us and people that are younger than us and people that are going through the same things that we're going through. We need each other. And the, one of the most significant decisions that we can make about how healthy we will be a year from now, five years from now, 30 years from now, is who we allow into close fellowship with us. The friends you choose will make the biggest difference on the person you become. The friends you choose will make the biggest difference on the person that you or I become. And scripture tells that story again and again. And so here, we don't know all of them, but Paul gives us little bits of details. He first says to the church receiving this letter uh, that he commends Phoebe to them. So she is likely the person bringing the scroll with her. And so Paul trusts her enough to take this manuscript <clears throat> that he's taken the time to put his thoughts down and summarize all of Scripture that goes before this so that the church can be instructed in the faith. And now this has to be sent, and there's no mail system. So you send it with somebody that you trust to get it to the people you're hoping will receive it. And so the person who's going to bring this letter is a woman named Phoebe. And so Paul is telling them that she's a servant of the church here, and so welcome her in a way worthy of the saints. He's saying, I trust her enough to give her this, to pass on to you, and I want you to receive her in a way worthy of all the saints. And then he goes on to say, not only is she a blessing to me, but she is a blessing to many. When it says that she's a patron of many, that means we don't know a lot about her, but she is somebody who is very well off and in her wealth is incredibly generous. So that many people have been the recipients of generosity expressed by Sister Phoebe. And so Paul trusts her enough. He's been a beneficiary of that in, in some financial support. And she has the means to probably now pay for her trip to get to Rome. And as she's traveling as a businesswoman to take this along with her and say, here, this is from the apostle for you. And so Paul is saying when she comes, uh, she's really, really important. <laughs> She's so important to the work of so many of us. We could not do what we were doing without her, and you wouldn't receive this letter if she wasn't the one able to carry and bring it to you. So welcome her in a way worthy of the saints. Then he goes on to describe uh, Priscilla and Aquila, and he talks about them as fellow workers in Christ. They together, as husband and wife, risked their necks for my life. Wow. Wow. What a testimony of this husband and wife team now who together risked their lives for the sake of the Apostle Paul. And he remembers that. He blesses God for that. And he encourages the church there to continue to give thanks and says all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks for them. We can't go through every person's story listed here, but it goes on. He says uh, even later, to uh, not only to, uh, to greet, is it Rufus? Yes, in verse 13, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. Uh, Romans 16 would actually make a great Mother's Day uh, sermon in two weeks, but it, it doesn't line up on the calendar. Um, 
for the way we've structured this series, but the amount of people that the apostles taking the time to elevate their importance. I mean, how much nicer of a compliment do you give to somebody to say, uh, you've also been like a mother to me. Like you've loved me and made me feel like I was one of your own. The apostle has no problem acknowledging that, saying that publicly. I've been the recipient of the generosity of Phoebe. I've been loved like a son by Rufus's mom. All of these people are a part of God's plan for how the apostle can do what he does. And so he's happy to highlight them, men and women, young and old, people who took risks and people who met needs, people who worked hard, <clears throat> and people who were just an encouragement. And he wants to elevate and highlight all of their good work. And do you know you and I could probably make a list like that? If I were just to say, all right, let's take a five-minute break, get out a piece of paper and a pen, and write down some of the people who've made the biggest difference in your life. Try to think about the people who loved you like you were their own. Try to think about the people who were there for you when you were down and you needed somebody to take a risk for you and they took a risk for you. I think you could start to write that out. I think it'd be a great homework assignment on a Sunday afternoon. I was, while I was in seminary, <clears throat> I was working for uh, a gentleman who had a, an investment advisor firm, and one of his friends was coming to see him, but he was on a phone call, and so he wasn't available yet. So uh, he came out to me, his name was Otto, and he came to me and he said, Peter, I'm not free yet, I'm going to be on this call, so when John comes, he's my friend, you'll love meeting him, just basically entertain him until I'm off of my call. And so I'm meeting this person who I'd never met before, his name is John Rasnick, and he sits down, and I just have to say, I'm sorry, but he's not available yet. I'd love to make you a cup of coffee. And he goes, oh, no problem. I'd love to get to know you. Tell me about the five men who've made the biggest difference in your life. And I was like, what? Okay. Yeah, no, I'd love to tell you about five different men who've made a tremendous difference in my life. But just going through that then was such an encouraging uh, time to share about my father, my grandfathers, other people who had been mentors in my life and had invested in me. And it lifted my spirits to tell the story of other people who'd made a difference in my journey. And then I was curious in, a, in his own vein of, you know, well, who's been an encouragement to you? You know, who made a difference in your life when you were a kid, when you were a teenager? Uh, who is the best sort of manager you've ever worked for? Who's the hardest working employee you've ever had? Like, Thinking through those different examples is a way to highlight the fact that all of us are shaped by other people. And we become healthier people when we recognize that and when we look for positive influences in our lives to encourage us in our journey and in our walk. We need other people. I think we also see in here an example of gratitude and the encouragement that can come from gratitude. Um, and I mean that in two different ways. Um, as I've just shared, for me, it's encouraging uh, and was encouraging to share about other people. Here, the Apostle Paul is, I think, setting an example for the believers where he's taking his time to highlight the positive ways in which very specific people have done specific things to bless him. Then he also gives a warning about ways can people can negatively affect us. 
And when he gets to the warning about how other people could just as much bring us down, he doesn't name anybody's name specifically. And he doesn't tell a bad story. He says very seriously, brothers and sisters, watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them, for such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. It's pretty strong language. But notice how he's doing that. He doesn't give specific names of who and what they've done, but he still gives a stern warning. He gives us specific names and stories about the people who've made a positive difference in his life. In other words, I think part of what Paul is doing here is sort of living out what he tells the Philippian church, which is think on things that are pure and lovely and good and true. Like give the majority of your thoughts to those things and not then live in la-la land and don't imagine that anything bad ever happens. There are really bad things that happen. But a lot of us are tempted to make a very short list and say, you know, a lot of people have helped me out of my life. And then make a long list of the people who haven't. And we can say when and where and how they said this and they did that. And we would flip uh, the amount of words we would use (laughs) and the approach that we might take in describing in more detail the harm that has come our way than the ways in which our lives have been blessed. And so I think Paul is setting an example, giving the believers an encouragement that gratitude is one of the ways that we get out of the pit. Because we all have bad experiences. We all encounter unhelpful people. Many people can bring us down. But if we spend the majority of our time dwelling on those things, it can then continue to weigh us down, where we just feel stuck, where it's hard for us to believe that tomorrow could be a better day where there might be hope on the horizon because we're not giving the majority of our thoughts to what is good and true and right and praiseworthy but because we are reliving uh, what is hurtful what is harmful what was unjust we have to pay attention to both paul doesn't ignore injustice he doesn't avoid giving a warning But he gives, I think, to us this example of the goodness that gratitude does in our lives. So there's the importance of other people, but also our need at times to recognize that for our own sake, to build up courage in us. In the Old Testament, we have a very dramatic example of this in the prophet Elijah, where he got to the point where he really thought he was alone, that nobody else was standing up for what was right. And so even though he did what was right and he did something dramatic against the prophets of Baal and showed that God was more powerful than him, it wasn't very much longer that he was profoundly struggling with depression. And he says to God, it's only me. I'm the only one. Nobody knows and nobody else is standing up. Nobody else is in this fight. And God has to lift up his spirits by saying, there are 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. On many occasions, it's only you in a room, but I promise you, you're not the only one. There's thousands of others who are in this fight, who haven't given in to idolatry. And we need to hear about those other people to be encouraged and say, okay, 
I, I can have motivation again to choose what is right over what is wrong, to choose what is light instead of what is dark, to choose what lends to peace rather than what leads to war. We can get that encouragement to continue to do that when we allow one another to express our gratitude for all that God has done. That's, that's a way in which gratitude helps heal us, helps restore us, helps make us now emotionally available for other people and their hard days and the things that they're going through because they need us to be there for them. That's another profound thing when you read through this letter. If you think about uh, some of the people Paul is describing have formal positions of authority and responsibility, but most of them do not. But Paul doesn't use a title to differentiate who's had an influence on his life. So Paul's not just saying, well, it's, it's the elders and the pastors who've made this great difference, and these other people, you know, they've made a lesser impact. No, he just, here's who they are. Some have titles, some don't, but all of them have been a part of God's purposes to bless my life and to make me the person that I am and able to do what I do. And so that means everybody here, regardless of your title, regardless of your authority, have profound opportunities to influence other people. You could lift somebody else up out of the pit when they're down. You could encourage someone when they're weary. You can help be that person who when they think they're all alone and nobody understands what they're going through, that you don't necessarily have to come with all the answers for what they're going through, but you can just be a presence in their lives to say, you're not alone in this. I love you. As Paul could say of Rufus's mother, you do love me. You love me like I'm one of your own. And I know that to be true. And that helps. And we all need that. This is what the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes possible for all of us, that now we can live in this reality that Jew or Gentile, slave or free, young or old, we can love each other in these ways and help one another in these ways and increasingly express gratitude. And then the last point, Paul concludes with the doxology. He gives us the benediction at the end of most of his letters, but in encouraging us to accept the responsibility and the opportunity we have to influence each other and to thank the specific people who have been a part of the plan to help us. Paul is also aware that all of that is ultimately an expression of God's love and grace in his life. And so the letter ends with Paul describing the wonder of grace. Like Paul looks at it and he's not been shy to tell us who has been these blessings in his life but Paul also gets that each of these people and their influence and their story has been an extension of God's grace and God's love for him. And so he, he marvels again that God would be so gracious, that God would be so loving to him to enable him to do this. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel, to the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings and has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Not only does 
gratitude help bring us out of the pit, but as we increasingly say thank you for the ways we've been blessed, eventually our thank yous get expressed upward. When we can say thank you to so many people who have helped us and shaped us, it draws us even higher to say, God, thank you for your love. Sometimes the most tangible way we'll feel it in moments is through other people. But all of those are meant to be sort of signs pointing us to an even greater love so that not only are we ever supposed to feel alone among each other, but all of us together are never supposed to feel alone in history, alone in the prospects of our destiny, but that all of us together were made and created by God, that he sent his son for each and every one of us, and for whatever challenges we face, he continues to be with us, ready to bring his grace to bear upon whatever challenges we face. Would you take me up on it? Would you write down some of the specific ways that God has blessed you through other people and then find at the end of that that you just want to bless God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that we can read in on a letter that has so much intimacy in it, so much specificity of Paul, of individual names and people whose stories we can't fully know, but we can just see the love that is present and the grace that has been experienced by all of them and that it, it can challenge us and move our own hearts to be reminded of all the ways that we have been beneficiaries, even in our darkest days, of the love of other people, of the kindness of strangers, of a faithful text or an email or a call. When we thought we were alone, you helped us to rediscover that there are so many people who are for us and who are with us. And Father, we thank you for all the ways you've used our own lives in whatever capacity to do that for other people. Would you help us to find even more ways to do that, to be blessings to others, that if other people write a bit of our story, that they would say these kinds of things, that they risked their necks for others, that they loved them as their own. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.